Hello and welcome back to Spotlight on Women in Health Ventures, the podcast powered by Thea, a nonprofit dedicated to empowering women as entrepreneurs in healthcare. Rachel Trobman is founder and CEO of Upside Health, a digital health company transforming the way chronic pain is assessed and treated through remote physiologic monitoring, therapeutic monitoring, and behavioral health integration. Prior to Upside, she worked in news production and content development, working for NY1, The New York Times, and NBC News. Rachel, thank you so much for being on today. Uh, Can't wait to hear more about your story, which I find particularly interesting coming from a journalism background and now at the helm of a of a digital health company. So very interested to, to delve into your, your career and, and what you're doing with, with Upside Health. So to kick things off, would love to learn more about how you got to where you are today uh, in your career. Thank you so much for having me. And it, it is definitely um, a story that sounds very random, but for me, it's like exactly where I, I meant to be. In undergrad, I was a biology, journalism, and French major. <laughs> I was pre-med and worked in hospitals in Peru and loved medicine and science, but my true love at that point was storytelling and being able to shed light on people's stories. And so I did that as a journalist for about 15 years, always on the digital side of things. So finding the correct medium to tell people stories. And sometimes that was a reporter, sometimes that was a, as a producer. And I was in the very early days of digital news. So I built the social channels for New York One, was an early multimedia journalist at the New York Times, did branded videos, and then joined a startup, a digital media company. And we were the first company that built a short form video. So taking, not just taking the nightly news and chopping it up. But all of this is to say is that I was in effect before there was really a term for it, a product manager. So I was very fortunate that I had the opportunity to explore and understand the inner workings of how things were made. And when I actually got together with my now husband, who is a technologist, and we started building apps at the early days of app development before, you know, teenagers could just like make them on their phones. Uh, it used to be a much more involved process and not as many people could do it. And we happened to be a team that could do it. And so people started asking us to build apps for them. And what I found is that there was an enormous opportunity to use technology to help communication in areas where it's otherwise difficult to communicate. And one of those areas I was very, very passionate about was pain. And so I originally built a product using my skill set more in the world of storytelling, social media, like that kind of world. And it was a product called Ouchie. And it was the what we consider the health, the healthy and helpful way to communicate around your pain. And so the idea of creating a socially acceptable, socially aware, and comfortable place for people who are hurting to be able to express that. Um, and what we found was that the there was an enormous need. Mm. And some of the people that were in the most need were people that were under uninsured as a result of their pain, who were often dismissed because of their pain, who had been kind of pushed and kicked around traditional healthcare system. And this wasn't a surprise for me in a sense, in that when I was 
20, I was diagnosed with a connective tissue disease. And my mom has lupus, my brother has cystic fibrosis. So like I, I knew what it's like to navigate through things that are particularly in pain that are traditionally very subjective. And so what was ouchy and what we saw was really resonating with people, including the U.S. Pain Foundation and others. We thought, well, we don't want to do something that's harmful, right? We, you know, focusing on your pain might not, if that's who's really being attracted to this platform, how do we do it in a way that is meaningful? And so we teamed up with the chief of pain medicine from Stanford and then head of pain at Wow Cornell and a few other places and discovered that the problem that we were solving for wasn't just a patient problem, but really a larger systemic one because one pain is so subjective, but also because it requires so many different components of care mm-hmm. that traditionally very few people are trained in. Very few people have the time to deliver the way that the healthcare system is set up. They're typically not compensated for what patients really need. And so by taking what was then ouchie and creating something that was a branch of Mm. care, we were able to both improve both the way that chronic pain was assessed and also treated by serving both people who are in pain and those who take care of them. And that's, you know, how this all evolved. And I think at the root of everything is my desire to scale compassion and understanding that compassion requires time. And it's not something that is easily scaled within the confines of our traditional system. And so that it has to be external, but it can power the ability for those who are trained in medicine to operate at the highest degree of their specialty. It was great to to hear basically how your your career has evolved and along the way I drawing on personal experience and using that to inform this this product that you have built and found that that there is a great need for it and getting supporters along the way to to help not only like in a sense, like legitimize the the product, but also get it out to the patients that that need it the most. One thing that I I realized, and I was really lucky to be a part of, you know, during this evolution, is this program out of Yale. It's called Innovation to Impact, um, mm-hmm. and it was really meant for researchers to take their ideas and propel them into commercial products. I was the only one there that actually was kind of on the flip side mm-hmm. of things. Who said, you know, I built something that patients really love to use, but I want to clinically validate it. I want Mm -hmm. to make sure that um, I don't want to just be another wellness app that is kind of undervalued, but really make sure that we're building something meaningful. And I think that also kind of comes from my news, traditional news days of like really being regimented and verifying all your sources. And, um, And it was incredibly meaningful for me because it trained me to understand the rigor that academics and that scientists, Mm -hmm. doctors are under when they're learning about how to provide things. And so it made me very sensitive to how I present and not say like, you've spent years and years and years of your life studying something. I'm not from an outsider going to come in and say that what I've created is better than Mm -hmm. what you've had, but I want to show how maybe 
understanding what you have learned that this could help it. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Just another tool in our kit to to provide to patients because, as you mentioned, with chronic pain, it's just it's so tough to 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 manage that. You can try all these different medications and and other more holistic approaches to to care, but having something a little bit more more comprehensive, helping create that that community, I think, is also part of that that healing process. Well, and also understanding that like everyone was everyone's experience with pain is really different and based Mm -hmm. off of like who you are and what your lifestyle is and what your pain is inhibiting it can change everything for you if you're a city dweller who relies on public transit to get to a doctor or to go have tea with friends and your pain in your knees doesn't allow you to get up and down steps and so suddenly things that like getting two places is really difficult. It's a lot different than somebody who is a suburbanite who has access to a vehicle and they can, you know, there's just, you know, all those social determinants of health also feed back into your pain experience and having somebody or something that gets that and hears you and recognizes you, I think is a vital part of what patients need. So what, what you, what you described was the genesis of, of branch health correct? The, the, the app. So how does that fit into the larger upside health company that you, you are at the helm of? Yeah. So, so branch health is the tool by which health systems and physicians are able to scale their chronic pain care efficiently and effectively in a way that is currently reimbursed. Upside health is, gives us a little bit of availability to we're not attached to the branch health brand. So should a, a partner want to white label the branch health brand? Should we want to create different verticals around assessing pain, be it pediatric pain through algae, which actually we just were reusing in that capacity, more acute pain, potentially more disease-specific pain and experiences, post-op pain. Uh, we are a pain-specific vertical, but Branch Health is the more generic chronic pain product. So Branch Health is software as a medical device under enforcement discretion, like as its existence. So mm-hmm. should we want to branch out, sorry, turn to like <laughs> you know, certain features or functionalities or utilize different components of the data that we've aggregated. So mm-hmm. we had actually white labeled a version of this to make an arthritis specific platform for a client. It gives us a lot more flexibility in which to do that and grow our mission. So I, I'm interested to, to understand more about what the experience of the patient is like using branch health and then contrasting to that what what the provider sees on their end based on the usage from the patient. We have very clear um, and distinct stakeholders. And you would say that maybe there's only two, right? The the clinician and the patient, but really we identified the the nurses on our team that help serve the patients have a need for a product as well as the rest of the clinical staff, mm-hmm. whether it's the MAs, the PAs, the NPs, office managers. And so we've had to create experiences almost for everybody and not just mm. the patient and the provider. But the one thing for the provider is it has to work within their workflow. We could not create something new for them. 
So all the experience for the provider is within the patient's chart. They're seeing a patient. What do they do? Well, they order, they place orders for patients. They say, the patient needs to get blood work done. I have to add this ICD-10 code. So just like they do that, when they place an order, they place an order for breath health because we know that they already know how to do that. And then we had to figure out on our back end how placing an order in the EMR equals something on our end. But we had to make sure that whatever the clinician had to do did, was nothing new for them. We could we had to figure that on our end. So the clinician places an order for, for branch health and explains why it's now part of their care, why it's important. And it's it was really, we've seen a huge difference in adoption, in patient success, and in clinic success when that comes from the patient. It do, we can't call the patient directly and tell them. Right, of course. Right? It's it the relationship needs to remain strong between the patient and the clinician. And so that's where the referral comes from. And then the patient the provider doesn't really have to do anything after that. And the patients get alerted through a text message, through email, through phone calls, many different channel pathways to the fact that branch health exists and that they've been enrolled in this program. Patients download the application and we ask some basic demographic information. So that way we compare that record with the EMR. And then we try to understand the patient's experience with their pain. Are they frustrated? Are they hopeless? Are they resigned? Are they stable? And also like, what do they feel could help supplement their care? Is it more support? Is it more tools? Is it more connection? Is it, you know, what, what do they need? Because each patient needs something different. Mm. Is it just like, I, I'm good. I'm stable. I just, my doctor needs to know what I'm doing. Uh, and then based off of that, we create a custom experience for the patient that both gathers insights on their day-to-day -day experience with their pain and any changes in terms of their treatments, their medications, um, their daily tasks of living, as well as providing them access to resources that are specific to them, mindfulness, movement, art therapy, sleep hygiene, nutrition, peer support, all of those components of care. All of that data is being tracked and monitored and then is reviewed by our team of nurses who operate under the general supervision of the provider. Because it's really hard for providers right now to find nurses, but it's right. a lot easier for us to staff virtual nurses. And so we provide that extension of care service that allows the patients to have an additional touch point build relationships, feel supported. All of that data gets digested, sent through APIs back into the EMR. Okay. Uh, so that way the clinicians have a report before the next visit, in between visits, whenever they have time to look at it, that summarizes any changes in the patient's experience between visits. Should anything arise between those two touch points that is urgent, we have a direct line of communication to the provider or their office or whatever we've triaged it appropriately to alert them. And we've been able to identify all sorts of issues that have avoided dangerous procedures, ER visits, suicidal ideation, and then also enhancing the patient provider relationship as a whole, because each visit with a doctor tends to last 15 minutes. Right. There's only so much you can digest and ask and understand. And the patient who's been living with this pain for the other 29 days of the month, and mm -hmm. it feels like they have a lot to catch up on. And so mm -hmm. that's what this allows for that to do.
This sounds very comprehensive and very much needed. And I, you know, there are there are other solutions out there, but they pr produce all this data. And as as a clinician, all this data can be hard to digest. But mm -hmm. having this this report that highlights the key areas and any changes just makes that fifteen minutes all the more all the more efficient. A follow-up question I have is what what is on that report? What are the key metrics that you are tracking? during that month, et cetera? Great question. And we are very well aware of like data overload and we try to work really hard with our clinical partners to determine what is important. And we have, we understand generally what information is important, but we ask specifically in regards to your practice, you know, what is areas of concern? Are we looking at patient satisfaction? Are we looking at morphine equivalency level? What are metrics that you hold as a measurement of success within your practice, and we can highlight those. We have over time promise metrics in regards to pain intensity, pain interference, pain and function, pain and mood, anxiety, depression. So you can visualize changes in those over time, look at differences between medication usage. It's organized in a way where there's like, you know, what is, what I do with my kids, this thing called like Kylo Buffalo, at the end of each day, it's like, what's the best thing that's happened today? What's the worst thing that's happened today? And what's like something kind of random. I say that like, that's kind of how we organize it. It's like, give me, use your clinical judgment, synthesize like what, what bubbles to the top here, mm. what's minor, and then the rest of the data. Got it. Got it. Those are all those are all key key metrics, and it can help guide discussions with the the patient and the provider, and also makes the patient feel like they've been they've been heard, and that all this effort they go into to provide this data in the app is is actually being utilized for their for their care. What is the approach in terms of recruiting people to from the patient side to use the product? I, I imagine it's mostly coming from from the provider ordering it and, or is it, do they hear about you in the media and they, so how, how does that all work? We originally had a direct to consumer angle and perhaps maybe we'll have that in like as a support mechanism in the future, but primarily it is part of a care plan. That is our model right now. It is our model for the future in part because of that's how the compensation is supported. As much as I'd love to offer a, a free service that's not sustainable, we are providing a service and a value and it has to be supported as such. You know, remote care is not remote care, it's just care. It's part of a care system. And mm -hmm. so our patients are referred. We do have successful patients, especially in like smaller towns that we work with. Like we've been working in some rural areas where everyone mm -hmm. kind of goes to the same pain doctor and has been word of mouth that's traveled behind, like within that space to support the patients who all go to the same doctor. Yeah, right. no, this is great. Do you know about this? Like that, that happens a little bit, but our hope is that it becomes the standard of care. So along those lines, what is the business model? How does it, how does it work? We charge a SaaS fee monthly based off of the tier. So based off of patient volume, and then clinicians are able to bill insurance for a myriad of CPT codes that using our tool allows for. And so okay. we all, we are not billing insurance directly, but we are rendering 
many services under the general supervision of the provider, as well as providing you know, documentation and support. And are you partnering with um, health systems or individual physicians? Like how does that in terms of recruiting the, the providers that are? Yeah. So right now we're primarily working with physician-owned pain practices across the country. Some are spine and pain, some are ortho, some are family practice with a large pain component. We're starting to move into systems, systems with larger primary care departments, because that's, you know, the, when you end up all the way at a pain doctor, you're in some ways like the luckiest. So that's, you know, the next phase of where we're at. But right now there's still plenty of doctors out there who need our support in the world of pain. And so that's where we're focusing. Yes. I'm already envisioning myself <laughs> entering internal medicine and in my primary care practice trying to like when I'm trying to counsel patients on their pain management I definitely would want to add this on the, as an order uh, I, I definitely think it would be be instrumental not only for the patient but also for me because I feel sometimes helpless yeah I mean I think that's the thing that patients really struggle with is that and providers struggle with is that like they feel like nobody's trying or nobody's trying to do anything but there's a limit that like from that it can be done without understanding for one like pain psychology understanding how pain works and then creating you know as much as you can a custom experience for that patient so it's really important to us that we are that extension of care we are not an outside source mm -hmm. we're doing a new thing within our practice to be able to provide you with this concierge level care that individualized care highly individualized yeah. care and it yep. sounds you 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 and your team have been very intentional in terms of the the features that have been included and the metrics that are being measured and even have the having an interface that's not just between the clinician and the patient but also all of the other stakeholders and as you said because those are patients also interface with them so having all of those stakeholders involved in medical the staff etc. It, it definitely makes the whole experience more more streamlined. It feels like everyone is is in it together and is really trying to to at the end of the day help the patient as as much as possible. Yes, want to help people who are in pain, and so in order to do that, I have to make a product as personal as pain itself, and that's really hard. I imagine you and your team went through many different iterations. Can you touch on how you went about designing this product, going from one iteration to the next, who you talked to and and the advice that you got throughout that whole process to get to the to the final product that you have today? I mean, it's never ending. It is <laughs> it's um, I mean, we follow an iterative design framework. And so one of the advantages of us having our own tech team, which is really important, is it allows us to create a really versatile and evolving <laughs> set of products. I mean, yes, we spoke to people, but I think it's a little different than a larger company or we're like, oh, we did this great investigation and then we spent a couple million dollars or we spent a couple million dollars in the product. Like that's not not the way it is. I mean, we spoke to st stakeholders from all different areas, but then we put an MVP out and then we put another product and another, like we're probably on the 60th iteration of mm. branch, right? Each each week, because we 
identify, we use both quantitative and qualitative data. So, you know, there's conversations that happened as recently as last week when I was on onboarding and a patient said, what does the word resign? What does it mean resigned? I'm like, well, it's the first time I heard that, but it can't be the only time, right? So now we have to make changes to the way that text on our app works. Whereas the other data that we'll look at is like purely quantitative. Okay, everybody is clicking on this button first. Okay, and this button needs to be bigger. And then making sure that we're balancing both the needs of the clinicians and the needs of the patients. It's very, it's very complex. Pain is a is a complex disease symptom. It's and the market as a whole, there are many different solutions that are being offered. And from a patient perspective, it can be overwhelming as well, not only dealing with the pain, but also in search of trying to find a solution there. They have, it's like it's sensory overload. So that can also yeah. add to their, to their frustration as well. But that's um, something that like I was scared about, you know, is how to create the most accessible product that meets the patient where they're at under, again, the confines of like what is reimbursable. No, exactly. So you're you're balancing not only the needs of like in designing the product, you're not only like thinking about okay what the patient wants, but also like what what's going to get me reimbursed. And so they might not always always align, which can be tough. How how did those conversations go with insurance companies to to ensure that this is something that can be covered? Like how 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 did you go about it, and what would your advice be to those that are also trying to go through a similar process where they want to to produce something that is reimbursable. Ugh. This is where I became an expert in things that I never, if you would have asked me years ago, I went to conferences. I read every, I've read like way too many years worth of the Medicare fee schedules, looking for anything that's like connected to the care that we're providing. I'd speak to experts and say like, okay, you're doing this. What codes do you use? Okay, can this be digitized? And will Medicare or will other insurance still cover it? Okay, let me look at the telehealth policy. That's how deep I went because I didn't have the budget to hire like commercialization experts, which do exist, but the even the ones that exist are not really pain specific. There's a lot still more that has been done in like diabetes education and general muscular skeletal. I also became part of a few advocacy groups, including ones called the Connected Health Alliance. And so I've gone down and spoken with Congress people. I've leaned heavily on our attorneys who are experts in this field, read a lot of blog posts. Actually, the reason that I hired the attorneys that we ended up hiring to become our experts is when I first heard about like these codes and services, I had been reading their blog posts. And so I, and then I said, you guys must, I've been following you. And he said, oh, we've been following what you've been working on too. And there was like a, a synergy there, but yeah, it's, that it's probably one of the most complicated because there's no just like service out there or easy solution, especially if you're doing something that hasn't been done before. I, I do want to ask you just more at a high level about the, the overall pain management market where where do you see it going and which i think it can be a very loaded question so 
feel free to answer it the way that you you see fit. But where where do you see how do you see it evolving? And then where do you see the future of of upside health within that? Yeah, I mean, I think a lot of the pain management market will still continue to be device driven. You know, the spinal cord stimulators, the intrathecal pumps—they're the largest money makers for this, and and so and they feel the most tangible. Like because we've moved away from pills, it's like well, biologically, or we're accustomed to like what can fix something. Oh well, if I put something in your body, that'll fix it. And so I think that that market is going to continue to grow. Um, I think VR, rightfully, will also start playing an even bigger role in pain, both inpatient and outpatient. And then I think, and I've long believed, so the functional restoration program concept, which was become, which became very big in workers' comp in California and digitizing that component. There's a lot of great companies that are doing kind of virtual versions of that. And that's part of what's incorporated in our program as well. I think that that will become even more dominant and not just at the most severe cases, but earlier in the pipeline. And then I think, and I or hope that women's reproductive health pain, so endometriosis, PCOS, mm-hmm. uterine fibroids, I think that's an enormous opportunity for the pain space when it comes to digital because they're young, active consumers that are highly engaged and motivated to to improve their pain experience. So I think that that's an area that should not go underserved. The pain population is not going to get smaller. It's just going to get mm-hmm. bigger. And the long COVID you know, pain components mm-hmm. are going to continue to grow. And so uh, it needs to be taken as seriously as you know, diabetes and heart disease. Mm-hmm. I really appreciate your your, your insights on, on the market as a whole, and then really look forward to seeing where, where upside health moves uh, in the next few years. So in, in the last few minutes, we usually like to end with um, a few rapid fire questions, very broad general questions. So the first question uh, I have is, who are some female founders that you look up to? So a friend of mine is the CEO uh, and co-founder of Chief, Lindsay Kaplan, and I'd say her and that she's just so bold. What are some book recommendations that have also helped you on your entrepreneurial journey? I read a lot of articles rather and listen to a lot of podcasts more Mm -hmm. so than I read books lately, but I was reading, um, Profit First, which is Michael McKellow, which just like makes you think differently about mm-hmm. paying yourself in terms of like investing in your business and then not at all inspiring, but, or inspiring in the business sense. But um, I did just finish Call Us What We Carry, which is Amanda Gorman's series of poetry. And it fed my soul in a way that allowed me to then, you know, like follow that Northern star of, mm. as I mentioned, you know, like, creating compassion and sharing it. So I guess those two are kind of top of my yeah. list right now. Yeah, definitely. I mean, like with regards to the the latter um, book and series of poems like that, it's it's very important to, to have those reminders because you can get lost in the day-to-day logistics and operations of your of your business and and forget, you know, the the motivation behind. <laughs> behind I what you're doing. Yeah, I highly recommend it. 
finally, what advice do you have for women in particular who may be interested in starting their own venture and and entering this this uh, world of of company building? I would say find a tribe. So find a group of supportive people who will cheer you on no matter what. And then find a group of critics whose advice you can't get enough of. And it's not always positive advice, but like they've, they've been there, they've done that. And you know that they're coming at it from like a place of like a warm heart. And then only do something that you are obsessed with. Like it's a problem that you are, that is interesting enough and complicated enough to become obsessed with because it, if you're going to do it, it's a lot longer and a lot like more, like the problem, the solution can change, but like, if you're driven by the problem, so like be more tied to solving the problem than whatever solution you have. and then. The last thing, and this has been a really hard lesson for myself, but you are not your company and your company's successes and failures are not purely a reflection of you. I think that I take things like very personally and my, my drive to be successful and create something of value is very much, I feel like a reflection of my success or value, but I think it's important to remind ourselves that like, there's so much, like you can't control everything and be in the moment for what you've been able to accomplish whatever it may be is important excellent advice well thank you so much Rachel for for being on today and for sharing your your story your thoughts on on the overall market and I'm sure that many patients will continue to benefit from the work you and your team are doing at Upside Health and I look forward to seeing uh, its growth in the future and I look forward to ordering it on the EMR at uh, whatever residency program I, I end up at. And I can't wait to follow your exciting career. Thank you so much. Thank you all for listening. Visit us on Instagram at Thea Healthcare, on Twitter at TheaHC, and on our website at TheaHC.org for more content and to join our vibrant community of young professionals, entrepreneurs, investors, and thought leaders in healthcare. Special thanks to our amazing producer, Sarah Wetzler, and audio editors, Asim Jain, Nikita Gupta, and Taylor Liss. If you're enjoying our content, please consider supporting Thea by visiting our website, theahc.org, to donate.